You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, the podcast about all things metal and everything in between. A production of TheMetalRobot.com, created and hosted by Tom McKay. On this episode of MRP, we take a look at the current copyright system, how many of the channels that we love fall under fair use, and whether or not my channel falls under fair use. On top of that, we also talk with Sean Sexton, the Reverend of the Reverend Radio Show, to talk about what the hell is going on with Ticketmaster. And then we get into whether or not metal needs to be on top. Let's not waste much more time. Let's get straight into it. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. I can name off the top of my head quite a few people who have been screwed by YouTube's broken copyright system. Uh, Off the top of my head, Luke Spencer of Rocked. Crash Thompson, when he was still the rock critic, Nostalgia Critic, who is obviously a big name in this debate, given the fact that he started the Where's the Fair Use movement, H3H3, and so many others that I can't even name right now because there's just so many of them that have been screwed by Content ID. Uh, YouTube's Content ID has become a scourge upon the platform. YouTube hasn't really done anything to solve it either. They've applied patches every once in a while, but there's so much that needs to be done because Content ID is not perfect. It's not. It is entitled for abuse. It's a platform and a tool for abuse by bigger name companies and music labels that want to stifle creativity and have no idea what fair use really is. The YouTubers I've mentioned claim that they shouldn't be targeted by Content ID because their videos do fall under fair use, specifically the review portion of fair use. H3H3 is a bit different. They argue uh, that it's more transformative, their content, for the stuff that they talk about, the, the, the stuff that they react to. All in all, those content creators, they fall under fair use. Do they? I don't know personally. The borders for fair use have been so fuzzy. Like, they are so fuzzy that it's hard to tell really who is in the right and who's in the wrong here. Are the big music labels abusing their power with the um, the money that they have? Or are the YouTube creators kids who have no idea what they're talking about? I really don't know. I am not a lawyer. I should probably say that right out of the gate because uh, this segment is going to be dedicated to taking a look at um, the channels that I talked about, the uh, channels I mentioned, and looking at whether or not they do fall under fair use or fair dealing as it's known here in Canada, but also in the UK. Uh, And I have to say this right out of the gate, I am not a lawyer. I do not know much or anything really about copyright law or anything in particular. And this segment is not going to be giving out any legal advice whatsoever as if I was to give out legal advice, I would possibly be held responsible to take your case if you were to follow any advice that I give. Look, the too long didn't read version of that is that your case would burn fast if I was forced to be your lawyer. So I'm not taking any risks here, okay? I do not trust myself as a lawyer, and frankly, you shouldn't trust me as a lawyer either. The context that I'll be using for this segment is actually uh, two things. One, a recent video from uh, YouTuber Tom Scott, who recently put out a video called YouTube's copyright system isn't broken, the world's is, where he breaks down the problems with the copyright system of the world and of separate nations and how it's not entirely YouTube's fault. It's a great video and I highly recommend you check it out. I will link the video in the show notes, but it's something that is worth taking a look at. It gave me a new perspective on whether or not my content falls under fair use and whether or not my favorite channels 
fall under fair use. On top of that, the other thing I'll be referencing is uh, not necessarily a YouTube video, but it's uh, a book called Canadian Copyright A Citizen's Guide. It's the textbook that I got from college uh, when I was doing radio broadcasting, and, and it's, I really should be picking it up a bit more. I've been using it as a stand to put my lighting fixture on top of for my videos. I feel like with the title of Canadian Copyright, it's probably a bit more important uh, than just being used as a lighting platform, but whatever, whatever. <laughs> so I pulled it out for this segment, uh, and I, I got to reading about uh, fair dealing, and I also got to looking into uh, fair use of the American brand. So uh, first things first, let's look at one of the creators that I follow who has had arguably the most problems with this, Luke Spencer. He runs the YouTube channel Rocked, and he runs the website GetRocked.net, and is known for doing interviews, deep dives, regretting the past, and of course, reviews. Criticism and review, according to uh, copyright law, falls under fair dealing, and if you're in the U.S., it's known as fair use. Now, thankfully for Luke, his channel does fall under the fair use category to an extent. At least, he does now. You see, his, his channel back in the day uh, didn't really uh, do that as much, and so his channel got flooded with claims from uh, WMG and UMG. Now, uh, a bit of context on my part, I saw that and was absolutely furious, much like many other fans of his channel. I, for one, was failing to attempt to start a trend called hashtag stop UMG, hashtag stop WMG. It didn't really uh, tread water very far <laughs> as my reach is about as far as I can reach across my desk. But nevertheless, the way his videos worked is that uh, he would play the song for a couple of seconds to give you an idea of what he's talking about uh, in the surrounding of the video. So he would be talking about the album, uh, talk about the music, and the background would play music. Now, because he is criticizing the music in that, he is in the clear. But there were segments where he was just playing a few segments on their own. Now, he used to, what he used to do way, way back in the day, those little segments would have little bass, bassy types of sound effects added in to kind of throw off Content ID, which is smart because, you know, Content ID can't really detect uh, the exact, it has its own audio form in the database. And if there's something different about what's being played, well, it's harder to detect. But nevertheless, that uh, format of playing select clips from the music doesn't necessarily fall under fair use. Again, this is more just because of the extent of fair use. It's very vague. The borders are very fuzzy. No one really has a clear understanding of whether or not something like that would fall under fair use. Content creators say it is fair use. The music labels say no. Uh, so basically, he's using the music. If he's using the music, he has to be genuinely criticizing it the entire time, according to copyright law. Or his content has to be transformative enough that the music can be still used fairly. Which can apply to it, taking segments of the music, playing it, and then creating a joke, more or less. Like, like more or less joking about it. Like, the time when he played a segment from uh, one of the Fall Out Boy albums during a Regret in the Past. Uh, something about, uh, I'm, a, I'm a dick girl, I'm addicted to you, like a line like that. And referencing Simple Plan. Uh, as like a, as a throwaway joke. It worked in that case, but it doesn't apply to displaying the song in the middle of your content, even if it is for a few seconds. 
Now, at this point, it's worth noting that the big name record labels are still in the wrong for abuse of the system for multiple different reasons, because some of the content that they did flag was genuinely in fair use. But it doesn't help that the fair use section is very much a fuzzy gray area that needs to be more easily understood. Luke clearly realized this, and he has shifted gears since then, though it was done the hard way. He had to unfortunately learn copyright law is very different from the way it should be. Copyright law hasn't really caught up, and we unfortunately are stuck with what we got. Now, the live footage and music videos that he does still display, even if he's not really uh, playing the music, that's still questionable as he doesn't really criticize the videos. But it's again, it's hard to tell how that'll play out. But so far, in my personal opinion, he's in the clear. Now, let's move on to, honestly, my personal favorite uh, of the bunch, Crash Thompson, who was next. Now, he, back before 2020, he had a show called The Rock Critic. Now, a few times in the later days of The Rock Critic, before he ended up killing the show, he actually got a few, hit a few times from Content ID on his channel, but not for, for the reasons you'd expect. His reviews totally do fall under fair use. He's mostly making dick jokes, but he's not actually playing the music in full when he actually does. And the music that is playing in the background is live footage, but he is criticizing the music through and through. He's criticizing the entire album. So more or less, he does fall under fair use. So he is criticizing the music throughout his videos. And even when he's making jokes, it's still making critical points or it's transforming the video enough that it becomes uniquely his own. His intro wasn't though. His intro used to be the song called Lexicon Devil by The Germs. That used to be The Rock Critic's theme song. It's a good song, but too bad he was never criticizing it every time it appeared on his channel since 2012. Every single video. Every single one. He only got hit a few times, thankfully, but if the owner of Lexicon Devil of that song of the copyright really wanted to, they could, in a way, flag every single one of his videos. Let's pray to God that they don't do that because Crash Thompson only just became Crash Thompson and left the rock critic behind using what I'm assuming is his own original piece. And that would really, most of his older videos are very much uh, not viral hits, but they are some of the biggest, most viewed videos on his channel. If they were to get taken down, that would be a huge, huge thing that Crash Thompson has to deal with and hopefully recover from. But as of right now, in 2020, he is now in the clear as well. But what about H3H3? Well, according to the courts, he's in the clear as well. This is not necessarily me looking at his channel. He's in the clear because he was taken to court by uh, a creator. I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but it was a huge deal back when that happened. H3H3 became a public figure in the battle for fair use, more so than the Thompson Critic did, which I don't think he was happy about, but nevertheless, H3H3 ended up winning that case. And the court uh, ruled that his content, that his reactionary content falls under fair use because of the fact that it was transformative enough to make the content more or less his own. He was transforming the video with his own style and with in terms of skits and comedic jokes and comedic timing. Everything H3H3 was doing around the reactionary content was very much transforming it into their own. It's worth noting that the court didn't really rule that all reactionary content is okay, though, because, you know, 
there are obviously reaction channels that'll just watch the video in its entirety, you know, just more or less just watching it and filming themselves watch it. No cuts, nothing. And they're just laughing or they're uh, singing along or they're just, you know, head head bobbing to the music or they're just laughing to the video. Not all reaction content is fair use. So any of those channels that are doing that really need to t- pick up a textbook every once in a while. Even fair dealing doesn't cover that shit. Uh, but that brings us actually to my channel. It's only fair if I'm judging these other channels that have had a lot more success than me. It's only fair that I take a look at my channel. Am I doing this correctly? Am I falling under fair dealing? Well, the irony of it is my channel actually used to be safer under fair dealing than it is now. And I didn't realize that until Tom Scott put out his video and until I actually did a deeper dive into the Canadian copyright textbook that I got. Uh, You see, in the old style, okay, so first and foremost, this is despite the, some of the older videos still being claimed by copyright holders over and over again. And I'm not saying like every single video is getting copyrighted. I mean, the same video is getting copyrighted over and over again. I keep getting emails. There's a copyright claim on this video. Wait, I got that same claim like 30 days ago. I think they're just renewing it personally. But at the same time, I'm just like, I already know about this. What? Why? 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 What's the point? Now, okay, in the, here's what I mean. In the old style uh, despite me having a similar problem to the rock critics intro, my intro used to be the wicked end by event sevenfold, uh, which was very much a problem. Thankfully, I never got claimed for that, but there's a reason why I switched to using an original piece nowadays. But going back to it back in like, yeah, back in 2019, I uh, switched to an intro that was something more geared towards the identity of the metal robot using an original piece that I put together with a sort of uh, a sort of mindset of radio IDs, like radio splitters, and then setting that to video. That's more or less what I did. But the important thing is the old style of review was more legally safe than what I'm doing right now. You see, back then, what I used to do is I used to just put up a camera and sit in my chair and I would talk about the album. I would talk about the album. That's what I used to do. It's more or less what you would expect from other reactionary, well, not reactionary, review content on the platform, just a person talking to their cameras, like in the vein of ARTV, uh, the Crash Thompson, uh, Rocked, like of that vein. That's what it used to be. And that is arguably more safe. Even though I am playing the music below what I'm talking about, I'm still reviewing the content. And if I step away from it, the music stops for obviously a joke, but it stops. And so I am legally safe in that uh, style. But since then, I've actually switched to a reaction style video format where the music I'm reviewing plays for sections and I just make jokes, but you are hearing the music play and I'm not talking over the music. Now that might not be as fair as it used to be, (laughs) if I might add, excuse me. Wow. But going back into it after that uh, whole thing that I'm not going to cut out, uh, it also might still be under fair use. Again, it's so vague. It's hard to tell in a way it can be argued that my quote reactionary format is similar to H3H3's. Now, I'm not saying I'm as good as him, that's a different topic altogether. But in a way, I don't play the whole album. If I did, the videos would be a lot longer. I'm mostly just playing small snippets, and the content surrounding the copyrighted material is more, it's not hugely transformative, but it's transformative enough that it becomes a different thing. I'll give you an example. The video I did uh, for my review of Isle of the Cross's Excelsis, I use this one as a good example of why of what I strive to be able to do, but especially you know given the fact that we're all stuck inside, it's harder to do now. Um, 
it's the content is not necessarily the music that I'm playing. It's the content surrounding it. So in that video, I am driving a car and making jokes. It's more or less focused on me just everyday life, just listening to the music. What it does do next is it actually that cuts out to me getting into a quote car accident, the car exploding behind me as I'm walking away. And the video continues me walking down a bike path. But the video more or less is just me making jokes. It's a skit of me doing everyday things. Same thing goes for uh, back in 2018. I reviewed Cobra and the Lotus's Prevail 2. Now that video is set to me making food. It going horribly wrong. The kitchen setting on fire and me just ordering pizza. <laughs> that's more or less what, what I'm doing there. It's whether or not that's actually like transformative fully is a different question. But I feel like it's transformative enough. It becomes a different thing. Again, it's, a, it's in the gray area of fair dealing and fair use. Now, I still try to be careful. The music I use when I'm not talking about the album is original or royalty-free. It's mostly just original. And I'm slowly limiting myself to the amount of unlicensed photos I use because that's a different can of worms that I don't want to get caught up in because that is not something that I can really uh, get into because most, because again, putting up pictures is similar thing. You can't put it up without criticizing it. Otherwise, it's not fair use. Now, I do want to hit on a final note that Tom Scott hit on pretty early on in his video, and he continued to hit on this topic throughout the video. Quote, I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that's just how it is. The law isn't caught up, but it really should be. Now, full disclosure, again, I, it's hard to tell whether or not all the channels I mentioned, including my own, actually genuinely fall under fair use or fair dealing like 100% falling under that category. We're just people making content on YouTube. The current copyright system is flawed in how it deals with all this for multiple different reasons. And it's hard to say whether our channels, who are clearly ahead of the copyright system, whether or not, we, whether or not we're actually following the old rule that is still in effect. Content ID is not the real problem here. It's not really a problem, to be honest. It does have multiple flaws, but it was designed as a workaround to the current copyright law that's in place. And we honestly have to deal with that. Not much we can do, but just hope that we are following those current rules. Also, apparently we can all get fucked for having the actual album art displayed without criticizing it. The whole system is just fucked. This episode of the Metal Robot Podcast was remastered as of May 2021 to ensure great sound quality for your enjoyment. Plus, I just can't help but change shit I should probably just leave as is. Anyways, if you're enjoying the podcast, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on YouTube, so that any future episodes will appear right in your feed. Now, if you'll excuse me, my sleep paralysis demon is reading me a bedtime story. Mmm, that's nice. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Fuck Ticketmaster. I'm here with Sean Sexton of the Reverend Radio Show to dunk on uh, Ticketmaster. Sean, how are you doing? Not bad. How about you, man? Not bad. I had like, I, I could have sworn I had like a longer monologue plan, but nah, just fuck Ticketmaster. Uh, so, what, what more do you need to say? Exactly. Yes. So, as you probably know, uh, John, uh, Ticketmaster was in the news recently uh, for a bunch of different reasons. And not only are you a radio host, but you've also hosted. Uh, some events yourself, like you've hosted actual uh, events, like concerts and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, what's your take on what's been going on with Ticketmaster? Um, 
it's nothing new, really. Um, was it like the, the, the late 90s? I, I think Pearl Jam was the first band to really point out how kind of fucky they are. And um, the, the first guys probably to even um, try to stand up to them, at least big guys. Uh, there's no doubt about it uh, that, that they've done stuff like this before. Uh, I think the biggest concern that a lot of people are having now is that, yeah, no, we already know that Ticketmaster is doing stuff like this. That That's nothing new to us. Ticketmaster and greed go together like peanut butter and jelly. Nothing new there. Um, but yeah. oh, I, I think what we, what a lot of people are pissed about is that they're choosing the greedy route in the middle of a pandemic. When many of those, funny, you know, think like, what was your first concert? The first concert I went to, like, or the first yeah, concert the I paid you had for. To buy, that you had to buy tickets through Ticketmaster. Ooh, oh. If I remember correctly, I think, hmm, I think it was Epica, to be honest. Like, Epica and, yeah. uh... How much were those tickets? Honestly, surprisingly, uh, somewhat cheap, if I remember correctly. Uh, but it, it could have been, like, uh, like a bunch, like a bunch of... It, probably, it was probably more expensive than I remember, uh... If I remember correctly, it was like thirty something dollars, forty dollars, fifty bucks. Okay, but here's the thing: my first concert it was Aerosmith, which Ooh, is like I'm jealous. Top tier bands, and at the time, tickets were really considered to be really expensive. When I got them, fifty right. bucks. Okay, fifty bucks to see, to see them at Cops Coliseum in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And that was like when we got those, we were like, "Whoa, these concert tickets are fucking expensive." And you know, now literally the last time they came through, tickets were three hundred dollars. Same band, and they have no offense to them. They haven't gotten smaller. They haven't gotten bigger either. The Aerosmith is not more successful now. And if anything, no offense to them, one of my favorite bands, least successful than they were back in '99. So how come our concert? You know, uh, they've gone up. It does, it's, there's some sort of greed there, it seems, you know? Oh, there's no denying that, especially uh, with ticket prices constantly on the rise, especially as tickets sell. Um, but during this time, what they're what they're doing uh, for anyone listening who has no idea what's going on, uh, Ticketmaster, they have... No uh, coincidentally, in the middle of a pandemic, changed their refund policy... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before, if you didn't know, the pol- the policy was like uh, you can get a refund for uh, concerts that were postponed, rescheduled, or canceled. That is what it used. To, in fact, it literally, quote, word for word, refunds are available for if your event is postponed, rescheduled, or canceled. But now, yeah. coincidentally, that, in the middle of a they're pandemic, also, they're also applying for a government bailout. So why do they need both of those? Why do they need to keep our money for nothing and a government bailout. This is honestly, I'm not I get, like like you were saying earlier. I'm not surprised that Ticketmaster is doing this. I am yeah. more surprised by the timing of it, like the fact that they're choosing of all times yeah, now to do it. Here's the thing, though: there's no, it's not a free market in this industry for some fucking reason that nobody can really understand. Mm-hmm. Somebody, I think, in the early 2000s, just a little after the um, Pearl Jam thing. Somebody did try to compete with them, and literally, the Ticketmaster got the government involved, and the government was like, okay, only Ticketmaster Master can sell concert tickets now. I'm not surprised. I mean, Ticketmaster, they're, I think they're known for lobbying uh, quite a bit. Exactly. 
Exactly. But here's the thing. The only way an industry can prosper and, you know, continue to exist even is they need competition. Right? Oh, absolutely. Corporate co- consolidation is a problem in that in that regard. And I was even hearing uh, there was news a couple of days ago. They had a rival that they just bought out. Like they. Oh, like, really? Yeah. I don't know. Exactly who was, it was a, it was a ticket uh, selling startup. Uh, it was a startup. I don't know if it's an American. Obviously, I probably should have read further into that article, but yeah, basically, but basically, yeah, no, that was an actual thing. They bought a startup uh, and that's now under their uh, ticket is now under Ticketmaster's uh, wing. It's it's insane what we're what's going on with Ticketmaster, to be honest, and especially in this time in, of uh, of a pandemic where, again, people need that money back more than ever. And, and you know. Not a lot of people, actually, I have a book right here. Anybody interested in this can check this out. It's called The Pirate Organization. Who's it by? By Rodolphe Durand and John. Oh, this is some French dude. I don't know. <laughs> French in English. But it wasn't until I read this book, and I'm reading it again. Um, that's why it's right beside me. I wasn't planning on this. Um, every industry needs piracy to propagate itself. Right about this piracy started with tea with tea and spice okay but um anything uh uh there would be no netflix if people hadn't started pirating movies putting them on the internet for free to watch that there'd is actually no, that's, that's true right there's no there would be no spotify no itunes if people hadn't started trading mp3s over napster it was this competition the prop that made this these industries further themselves to be more what we wanted. Right. And Ticketmaster is doing what they can to stop all that. Now, you can't even do it legally. You can't legally contend with them. No, it's and that's kind of ridiculous uh, that they're doing that. Yeah. It's, be, it's because of that that they are able to, in a way, get away with doing stuff like this. Yes, I mean, a move like this for any other company would be a PR disaster. But to these guys, PR, I, I sent a tweet up about this uh, earlier, but to Ticketmaster, PR doesn't stand for public relations. It just stands for fuck refunds if you spell fuck with P and H. That's pretty much all it is because they don't care. Yeah, yeah. They really don't. And, and we're supposed to have laws against this because it's essentially a monopoly. It is a monopoly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here in North America, we have laws that say, hey, you can't have a monopoly. But like you said, they've lobbied all these people. They're, you know, rubbing shoulders uh, with all these uh, lawmakers and and senators and whatever, I guess. And um, they've been somehow found like a, a loophole or something, I guess. Oh, very much so, yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's even funnier because... We know that an event like this, people are so pissed right now about Ticketmaster. Uh, and one of the big things, because yeah, because of that, they their tickets are now, like the money that they spend on those tickets is being held. Now, I do want to mention in this regard, uh, the CEO of, uh, of Live Nation, the parent company for Ticketmaster, he went on TV and said that it's very much, um, it's misperception about Ticketmaster right now. There's a lot of that apparently. Because apparently how it works, 
is uh, Ticketmaster does, quote, Ticketmaster doesn't sell these tickets and sit on a mountain of cash. They sell tickets and give the cash over to the venues where the events are held. Is that is that accurate at all? That being as someone who's well, hosted events? In, um, venues on that scale, you know, if, uh, like we're in Canada. So say yes. we're going to use a big venue so everybody knows it. Say everybody, say Ramstein, which is a good example because this is one of the bands that nobody can get a, a refund for. Say they want to use um, Skydome. Okay. They have to pay Skydome X amount of thousands of dollars and to essentially a booking fee to use their venue. And on top, so he is right. Some of this, you know, there are, are a lot of concert expenses, especially for a band like Ramstein. But um, I'd like to see where he gave that announcement from because I have a feeling it's uh, a much nicer house than mine. For him to, you know, he's acting like he's not making any money when the reality is he's literally making thousands, if not millions of dollars. Oh, big time. That's the same, same thing with like uh, all the big CEOs are making a lot of money. Amazon CEO, yeah. uh, Microsoft is still making a lot of money, which there was a lot of fun about that. I don't want to get into like what OANN was cooking up because that's not really related to metal or this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. I thought it was funny. If you get a chance, look it up. It's, it's hilarious. Yeah, but, I don't know about that. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but anyways, so the guy went on, uh, went to go on saying, uh, quote, before Ticketmaster can issue a refund on a rescheduled event, it has to go to the venue, get that money. And a lot of those venues are closed because of what's going on right now. Uh, and that consider that is more or less a roadblock. There's obviously a lot more that he was talking about. That's the the gist of what he, he was act, saying. Does he know how the internet works? He doesn't actually. Yeah, have I don't to think he does. Me. I don't think he does at all. And even then, like if that's you the know, case for reschedule. I'm not out with you right now. We're dealing. You know, we're doing. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're, we're recording this podcast. Yeah, over the internet. <laughs> like it, it's not something that we have you to do know, in person. Bro. Yeah. Well, on top of that, like, if we really want to take him for his word here, someone has to be in the venue to send the money back for rescheduled. Well, how exactly are you able to get a refund for the canceled ones then? Who is in the venue for that? I don't think venues have specific people for specific situations. Canceled? Uh, okay, let's call Timmy. Rescheduled? Okay, let's call John. Yeah, no, we, we don't have... That's not how it works. I don't think. How many how many concerts have you been to that have been canceled? It happens where you've easily been able to get a refund. Right. We know that they can do it. We absolutely been done before. It's it's not something that is a big deal. Like if you want to assume Ticketmaster isn't sitting on a pile of cash, well, the money yeah. is somewhere. It doesn't just disappear. It doesn't evapor evaporate into thin air. So so Ticketmaster is saying that the venues that they deal with they're sitting on a pile of cash <laughs> that's more or less what he's saying yeah <laughs> no, there's a fucking pile of cash that somebody's sitting on and it's not it's not me it's not you it's not anybody watching this it's definitely not me if that was the case i would be living like a king in quarantine man <laughs> like, i'm pretty sure you would be too <laughs> yeah. that's a lot that's a lot of money um yeah. somebody's sitting on a pile of cash for nothing being done exactly yes like it's it's ridiculous that this is a thing. And what the sad part about all this is that we tick again, Ticketmaster, this isn't the first time they've been in hot water for something involving people's tickets and their money. 
The right? sad part about like, all of that. Like, I don't know if you noticed. So the guys who own Ticketmaster, Cheedly owns StubHub as well, right? Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, StubHub has their own. Both problems. those companies filed for um, bailouts separately. Mm-hmm. So again, there's just shadiness going on there. It's a lot of shadiness. The sad part is, though, knowing humans, we're all going to still end up, most of us are still going to end up using Ticketmaster, even the ones who are saying that they they don't want to use Ticketmaster anymore. Yeah, we don't, there's no, if I don't want, if I want to go see uh, Ramstein or Aerosmith again, where am I going to buy those tickets? They haven't allowed any competition in their industry, so I, I have to go through them. Yeah, well, on top of that, like, they also know because, in a way, convenience is what their what their entire process has been built upon. If for certain venues and certain concerts, you can buy the tickets at the venue, at right? the door, yeah, at the door. The problem is that is going to require that's going to require you to actually leave your house and drive there. People will are yeah. willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. But much like uh, like you and I, we live in like uh, uh, the the GT the my, southern part of the GTA area, like Hamilton, yeah, Burlington, Oakville. Um, ter- the biggest city close to us is Toronto. That's where most of the concerts go. So for us, yeah. if you want to buy tickets at the door, we have to actually drive there to pick it up, which again, I will do. Another, this is another thing. I don't know if you're old enough, but when I was a kid, we used to fucking line up at CD stores and buy, you know, they would have a little, a little kiosk in the back of Sunrise and HMVs and all that. And you could just line up there and buy tickets anywhere you want. Yeah. You could buy tickets from cities and towns away for a show in Toronto. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but even then, like you still, like, it's still faster to do it online, which is why Ticketmaster can basically do this shit uh, and get away with it. On top of that, you like, like we were just talking about, they're the only ones in the market. It's really hard to get around that. And they've put so much money and effort into making sure that they're the only one. Exactly. Exactly. It's hard to go anywhere else aside from these guys. Like I was saying, without competition, no, you know, no, not, not, I don't even mean pirating. Legal competition, let's go for it. Sure. They're, they, you know, what comes up has to come down. It's just a matter of time till everyone's like, you know what? I can't pay $500 to go see Aerosmith now. I have fucking bills to pay, car payments. You know, all that shit. So live music suffers now. Oh, big time. The sad, part, the sad part is, though, like, it's because human, as we as humans, we prefer convenience over the more logical alternative. Because really think about it. Yeah. That, uh, if you had the choice between uh, going at some, going to a place, like, physically, it takes a few minutes to get there, and buying concert tickets in person, or if you had the option of uh, uh, buying it in your home online, but the price may or may not be more expensive. If really, it's not it's not a close case. Most people will go for the easier option. That's because convenience exactly. has been battered into us for years, uh, yeah. especially my generation. My generation, we're, we're built on the idea of everything has to be fed to us, more or less. Like, fingertips. Exactly. And that's you, kind of what music, music, you don't have to, like I was saying, concert tickets and, and stuff, CDs, even I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't get music unless I went to a CD store. Now I, I can go on Spotify or YouTube and, and, you know, 
Yes. Nowadays, everything is so much more convenient uh, for people. And I would, and hey, me personally, I'm, I don't know. I'm old school for my age, which is weird to say, but I, I would prefer going out in person. I would prefer buying the CDs at a yeah, record store. Me too. I, I love especially music. Like how many times have you lost a hard drive? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I might lose one CD and, you know, 20 bucks gone. That sucks. But I'll go pick it up again. Whereas with the, 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 the what they call the a la carte method, if you lose that hard drive, you're done. You're, everything's gone. Well, I mean, in in fairness to uh, to companies like Apple, most of it's in the cloud. But if for whatever reason that ends oh. up getting uh, getting erased, that is you can't because paper or plastic or CD cannot be as corrupted as digital files. Yeah, you can't corrupt an actual physical CD. You can scratch it, but you can't corrupt it. Yeah, uh, and that even then, even if then, like I was saying, it's the so in the eighties, cassettes were um properly supporting the music industry because they're expensive to make um they're easy to fuck up easy to get lost all that stuff so people were buying them they were so it was people started to making mixtapes you know you lost your metallica ride the lightning um i'll make you a copy here you don't have to buy another one and the music industry blamed that on why they were tanking and then they created the CD in the late 80s. I forget the guy's name, but he created the CD and figured out how to use it for music. And that's what, again, kind of, you know, some people didn't want to buy or make CDs. They fell behind. But this was kind of propagated change. And, and again, that kind of competition made uh, the, the music industry prosper again. Record labels in the 90s were making a lot of money for CDs. They only cost 25 cents to mass produce. You know, the music itself costs, costs thousands of dollars to produce and mix and whatever. But for copy, it's only 25 cents to, to press it and get it out there. Now, um, and then that resulted in uh, piracy. Because there's now in a digital format that people could put on their computer and, and trade it. And that made the music industry say, oh, we got to change again to digital. And that's what created things like Spotify and iTunes and countless other platforms. So that kind of competition is, you know, whether it's heard or not, it's kept the industry alive. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Where everything needs to, have, needs to have competition. Otherwise, yeah. it's not gonna it's not gonna flourish because of the younger generation. Like you were saying, it's everything so a la carte that is kind of herded at the same time. Well, that in congregation congregation with the high ticket prices. My cousin doesn't give a fuck about Aerosmith because people my age and older are like. Fuck your music, it's garbage. Listen to some real music, you know, shit like that. And um, so whether they like it or not, either way, they can't afford five. Uh, uh, I was 12, 13 when I saw Aerosmith. 12, 13 year old can't afford a three to $500 ticket. Go see them now. So now their album sales are less because it's just not, you know, they're not. Uh, geared towards the new audience and that's what you always have to be changing for the new audience 
yeah, evolution, uh, especially of uh, not just competition, but also music. That's a different topic altogether. But um, but after, with all this going on, do you think Ticketmaster will still come back from this? Do you think they'll keep doing what they're doing? Or do you think this is possibly the end for Ticketmaster? I would like it to be the end. I think everyone's in your camp on that one. <laughs> I would love it to see them go under and three small companies pop up, you know, that have to compete with each other there and it would lower concert prices. So I'd love to see Aerosmith again. And uh, that's basically my sole reason. All right, John, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. It was great talking to you uh, over the interwebs uh, to talk <laughs> about. I'm sorry. Yeah, you too. All right. Awesome. Uh, Bali, how are you doing with all this uh, COVID-19 bullshit that's going on i forgot um, to ask that at the beginning <laughs> i'm getting by it's um you know my my i'm an essential worker on three fronts so i'm in stutland everywhere is trying to get me to work overtime and stuff so i'm in high demand but uh just sitting at home i'm kind of going like when i'm not working it's like i'm sitting here and doing nothing or i'm busting my ass at work so there's no in between social time where I can hang out and stuff. So financially, I'm doing great. But um, I guess it's starting to wear on me mentally. You know what I mean? Just sitting at nothing to do. I watched Tiger King twice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the best thing to do with your spare time. All right. Nate. So, Sean, thank you so much for coming in. Sean Sexton of the Reverend Radio Show. Uh, when everything goes back to normal, make sure to check out his uh, show Saturdays, 6 to, 6 to 9 p.m. on 101.5 The Hawk. Sean, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This part was added into the podcast during the remastering epidemic of May 2021. If you are looking for a community of people who, like you, want to have fun and talk about a bunch of stuff, then head on over to the Metal Robot Discord server. Link is in the show notes. Let's get back to the podcast, and uh, let's just hope this pandemic is finally over by the time all this happens. It's still not over. How is it not over? Why? You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. A few months back, a video came out on the Rock YouTube channel uh, called How Rock Can Get Back on Top. Now, if you haven't seen the video, I highly recommend checking it out. I will uh, link the video in the show notes for this podcast. But base, Or you can even just search up Rocked on YouTube. And while you're doing that, subscribe to them. And while you're also doing that on YouTube, subscribe to my channel too, if you haven't done so already. Shameless plug, but we're going to get back into it. So <laughs> getting into the video itself... Uh, Basically, the video is centered around rock being in the doldrums over the past decade, while pop, rap, and country have reigned supreme. Like I said, it's a good video, it's well thought out, and it does paint a bleak picture of where rock is right now. A very, very blunt, bleak picture of where rock is right now, and has a lot of good points that it hit on. Now, Full disclosure, because I, even though I am a fan of Rocked, I do have to say the video is not perfect. The video is not perfect. I personally feel like Luke injected a bit more bias than I feel like he was intending, and it shined way too clear in the video, especially when he was talking about the the safe bands or you know not letting go of the past. That was very much a bit of an issue, but also including getting somewhat of a grasp on why FM radio has been a problem but still not mentioning that audience does play a part in that. Not a big part, but it does exist. 
But the minor gripes that I have do not outweigh the major key talking points. And that is that rock is in the doldrums. There is a lot of problems there and we need to address it. And especially seeing as whatever problems rock has inevitably come make its way to metal. That is a huge thing. Now, I actually wanted to get Luke on the podcast to talk about how this applies to metal, because that is a key talking point that I feel like uh, I may personally care about. And I feel like you care about as well. But, you know, he hasn't really gotten back to me yet. Uh, I sent the email. He hasn't really seen it or responded. Uh, and uh, nothing from him. Senpai, why do you don't notice me? Okay. So, <clears throat> wow. That was before I saw myself. I should probably get back on topic. So instead of just waiting on Luke to reply back, I figured I would just start the conversation on this end because this is an important issue to address. The issues of rock, for the most part, they usually tend to cascade over to, to the metal scene like dominoes, which does make a lot of sense. Metal basically is, at its core, uh, an extreme version of rock. It, there is a lot of argument to support that. And sure enough, this has begun to see some precedent. Uh, many of the critics in the the rock and uh, and metal sphere, uh, Crash Thompson, Rocked, uh, like Luke from Rocked, Spectrum Pulse, ARTV. Many of these bands have of these critics have pointed out the year of the beep boop, which was a huge problem back in 2018. Bands like the Amity Affliction, Bullet for My Valentine, in metal specifically, have had that problem where they're over relying on the trends of pop and the mainstream. So clearly there is something worth paying attention to with this video as metal bands and uh, keep doing this and as plenty of metalheads keep following suit. The key thing that Luke uh, went into for his video, there are plenty of points, but the, the main ones that I want to focus on here was how rock is presented or how metal is presented, illegal downloading, the quality of music and not letting go of the past. There's plenty to be said about all of those. But okay, first of all, illegal downloading is a huge problem. Everybody knows that. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one. Seriously, I have friends who rip songs from YouTube and it pisses me off. My best friend does this and it floors me. I don't get it. I mean, granted, the artists that he listens to and rips, uh, they could probably survive without the extra few bucks. But still, like, come on, buy your music. Buy music, maggots. Okay, okay, so that's out of the way. Let's talk about how metal is presented in the music world, how metal is presented in the mainstream. Rock has a bit of a different problem from metal in that regard. For one thing, yeah, rock, their charts are very much, according to Billboard, dominated by Imagine Dragons. Most rock fans would disagree with that, but thankfully, that's not really what's, that's not really clear with metal. Metal has, there's no doubt in anyone's mind, metal is not Imagine Dragons. We are far away from that. Thank God. Uh, but I feel like uh, going into a further point, Luke actually has a point that most of the bands do not have the same charisma as the older bands. He talks about the bands that were that were on uh, TRL, MTV back in the day, and they got featured alongside a band like NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, Rage Against the Machine, Puddle of Mud, Event Sevenfold, like stuff like that was featured 
prominently on TV back in the day. They had, because those bands had great personalities. They had great charisma. They had mega star power. But there's something that I felt was a bit more not the case, or it could be described as misleading. Uh, the, the, the quote that he, uh, that, so the, the line that he said, quote, more often than not, it's a bunch of hipsters or all black wearing wannabe tough guys trying to survive on the road. Now, I take a bit of issue with that line. While it is true there are plenty of hipsters and all black wearing wannabe tough guys in the metal scene, and even rock, but with metal, adding in the more often than not is very misleading, especially when we're looking at metal. Now, I can tell you right now from the music that I have personally heard and the music that I have reviewed, that is not always the case. In metal, there are plenty of the newer bands who do have that kind of mega star power that Luke was referring to and that kind of charisma. I can't personally speak for rock uh, because that's not my field of expertise, but metal has charisma in spades. A few examples that I can name off the top of my head uh, from the people that I've talked to on the channel. Cam Bird, uh, who is an uh, a musician from Australia, I talked with him for an interview. He's got the kind of charisma that can be matched with James Hetfield or even Corey Taylor. Okay, maybe not that last one, but James Hetfield most definitely. The guy has major charisma. Lindsay Schoolcraft, it's hard to say if the charisma is in her field, but she's got that mega star power that go that can go alongside bands like Evanescence or Nightwish. It's exemplified back when she was uh, a part of Cradle of Filth, and it's even further pushed now as a solo artist. And of course, pterodactyl problems. Holy shit, pterodactyl problems. Those guys have more personality and charisma than most of the newer bands that got big fast. Seriously, it's worth considering that. Not only have I talked to them, but I've also, that like for, for an interview, but I've also interacted with them outside of that. And they are more or less the same guys you see in the interviews. These guys are... They are exemplary of that charisma that uh, Luke was talking about. So why aren't these guys, the, the people I mentioned, why aren't they getting as much attention as, say, Bad Wolves, Nothing More, or Bring Me the Horizon? Well, it's hard to tell why more people aren't talking about these guys. It really is. It's There's no real clear definition or clear reason for that. But what I can say at the very least is that it's not because... It's hard. It's not because of a shortage or, or, or uh, like a shortage of people with charisma. I don't know what it is, though. It's hard to tell. And I frankly don't think even Luke knows the right answer to that question. But going into the uh, other points, we've got quality of music. Now, I really need to be careful with this one because even though. No, that was because even Luke didn't really go too far into this one. That was more a talking point from some of the other people he brought on. But quality of music, that's a very subjective point to to make. You could argue that it's because many bands are going for the radio friendly route and not trying too much. But really, that's a very subjective point, because like I mentioned earlier, when it comes to F, the problem with FM radio, audience is also part of the problem. Many of them do like the radio friendly format. So it's really hard to get a grasp of that one. Now, as I mean, shoot, we've already got <laughs> we've already got the bias of the video in this category. So why not keep it going for the podcast? But OK, when I personally think of the quality of music, when it comes to metal, at least 
the first thing that comes to my mind is the newer bands retreading old ground. That's what usually what I refer to. And I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Bands need to stop doing that. I'm sure many listeners and critics have had this problem before. I've lost count of how many uh, of the thrash metal albums, death metal albums, deathcore albums, metalcore albums, and so on and so forth. Even uh, some like the folk metal albums or symphonic metal albums where they've come across my desk and I'm thinking, I've heard this shit before done by other people arguably better then than it is now. <laughs> you see, here's the thing. Going back to what I was talking about earlier, the problem with metal isn't necessarily the lack of charisma. It's the lack of creativity. There are so many copycats in both rock and metal. Metal has that problem in spades, though. There are pl- many of the subgenres of metal cannot stop copying each other. Uh, thrash metal is a big example. Death metal, deathcore, metalcore especially. And it's it's a huge problem. Now, there are examples, I must be fair, there are plenty of examples of creativity flourishing. Bands like uh, Dialith giving a great example of what symphonic metal could be when it funneled through aggression and prowess. Sleep Wraith, who I've reviewed on the website, shows what you can do when you expand outside of just the death metal genre and bring in more influences from everywhere else and just creating a metal record. An amazing concept. I don't know why most people aren't doing that. But then there are bands like, say, Eye of the Destroyer, just yeah, just nitpicking from the array of albums I've reviewed. A band like Eye of the Destroyer, they're not bad, but I've heard their sound before, and they've done better tenfold. And the same problem even goes for some of the, the bands that have been around for a while. Suicide Silence, they've released an album this year. And while it's infinitely better than their self-titled, it's very much just a standard cookie-cutter deathcore album that could easily be mixed up with plenty of others. There's no originality there. Uh, it's good. It's a good album. But it, they could do so much better. Now... When we get into the big one here, uh, because the whole quality of music thing, the thing I was talking about of retreading old ground, that is actually a good segue into the big point that Luke hit on. We have to let go of the past. I talked about something similar to this on the podcast uh, in regards to the evolution of music uh, a couple episodes ago. And this one is actually something that me and Luke can agree on in a way. Because we are all so focused on the past, it's hard to really give credit to the present and possibly even the future. What do do I mean by this? Well, that I love bands like Metallica. I love bands like Slayer, Iron Maiden, Cannibal Corpse, so many others that uh, that have laid the foundation for what metal can be and what it is today. They are worth loving and worth remembering. But there are plenty of people who will use them as a bar to surpass, which is very much a problem for uh, newer bands who are coming up and they don't really surpass that bar because that's a high bar to to pass. And even when newer bands do do that, well, we're going to keep comparing them to the older bands. It's ridiculous. It, It makes sense why we do that, because familiar is way more is way more appealing to us as humans than the, de- it's like the devil we know is more 
appealing to us than the unknown. I mentioned this in the in the podcast before when we talk about evolution, but this is very much it very much applies here. Now, look, at the end of the day, I may have a few disagreements with Luke's video, but it's a first of all, again, it's a great video, but also Luke is right. Overall, Luke is correct. We there's a lot of points that the video hit on, not only when Luke was talking, but also when he brought on some other people that rock is very much in the doldrums and metal is while it's hard to say if we're following suit, we very much aren't really evolving as much as we really should. We really do have to let go of the past. We really do have to check ourselves and check our creativity. And we really have to understand that we can be presented in so many better ways than just being hipsters or all black wearing wannabe tough guys. Again, I have to reiterate, that's not most of the people in metal, but they do exist and that's not really helping anything. We have to understand that this is something that we have to work on. And as a community, as, as metalheads, we really need to talk about how we can achieve this. The conversation was started with Luke in regards to rock. I'm continuing the conversation in regards to metal, but I open the discussion up to everybody in the rock and metal scene. Nate, anything in particular along those lines, how can we solve this problem? And Luke, if you are listening to this, seriously, man, come on the podcast. Let's talk more about this. It'd be great to talk about this with someone who made the original video and hopefully get some more points out of. But that's just my thing. Come on the podcast, Luke. We want you. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to MRP. You can check out everything that we do on the internet, YouTube, Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook and Twitter at The Metal Robot, and Instagram at The Dot Metal Robot. You can also check out everything we do on one place, TheMetalRobot.com, for videos, reviews, press, and so much more. I'm Tom McKay. Thanks for listening. Click subscribe if you haven't already. I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night.